0: Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. We praise the true and living God for allowing us to be part of this ministry. We pray he will be with you wherever you are tonight or when you're watching. Listen up, especially you residents of Brigham City and the surrounding areas. Every quarter, a group of eight pastors who love the Lord and not organized religion get together and have a public event to show that they're might be uh, that while they are different denominations, they are not different churches. They're all part of the body of Christ. Their biggest event is coming up this Sunday. This Sunday, June 10th, they call it Church in the Park. And what they do is they close the doors of their brick-and-mortar buildings, all these eight churches, and they meet together in the largest park in town. They have an open worship service and afterward serve hot dogs and hamburgers free, to anyone and everyone who shows up, no matter uh, what their religious affiliation. I mean, it's Baptists right alongside of Lutherans singing about the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, everyone is invited. Here are the details. Church in the Park, Sunday, June 10th, 10.30 a.m. Pioneer Park, Brigham City. You take the Forest Street exit off the I-15 and Pioneer Park is on your left at about 600 west. Okay, so go out there and experience the Lord with those pastors and those believers. Then, if you're female and interested in learning more about the Bible and having fellowship with like-minded believers, other female Christians, join our all-women's Bible study beginning Monday night, this coming Monday night, uh, the 11th, June 11th, from 7 to 9 p.m. at the Denny's Restaurant located in downtown Salt Lake City. Security uh, will be there uh, to protect you. So don't worry about that. Come and join Female Monday Night's Bible Study, downtown uh, Denny's. Friday nights at 8 p.m. right here on TV20. Tune in as Bishop Earl interviews people who were once LDS and are now born-again Christians. Uh, The name of the show, The X-Files. Tune in Friday nights 8 p.m. Now it's June 5th, 2012. Our summer tour dates are closed. Where are we going to be? You're going to get blown away at the number of places. You ready? Take a look. 1st, June uh, 27th, 28th, and 29th, First Independent Methodist Church in Decatur, Alabama, uh, 6.30 p.m. After that, August 17th, Hope Point Nazarene Church, Yuba City, California, 6.30 p.m. August 22nd, Blessed Hope Chapel, Simi Valley, California, 7 p.m. And August 29th. New Life Christian Pres- New Life Presbyterian, excuse me, Escondido, California, seven p.m. If you live in those areas, please join us. It's the first of the month, and we try to take the time and highlight the churches in the Utah area that have been transitions trained. And uh, so, let's run the list of who they are. There is no list as we speak but in any case uh, transitions is a program uh there it is that helps uh people we have the adventure church we we have alpine church uh in west haven and layton uh cache valley bible church in logan calvary chapel clearfield calvary chapel salt lake city uh first presbyterian church salt lake city good shepherd lutheran church sandy holy cross lutheran church brigham city k2 the church salt lake Legacy Fellowship Springville, Main Street Church Brigham City, Mount Olympus Presbyterian Church Holiday, Mountain Life Evangelical Free Church Park City, New Pilgrim Baptist, Kearns, Provo Baptist, Provo, South Mountain Community Church Draper, the Church at Water's Edge in Tooele, and... Many more to come. If your church hasn't been transitions trained, we suggest that you check them out at www.ldstransitions.com. What you do is you just bring in this program. You have a facilitator come in and train the the congregation on how to help Latter-day Saints as they're uh, transitioning out of religion and into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, uh, this is becoming more and more of a needed program because uh, even though the LDS has been reporting these huge numbers of advances in their church membership uh, growth, uh, on the other side, coming right out the other door, they are saying it is hemorrhaging. And it's all because of people like you uh, uh, praying for them and for uh, pioneers who have gone out, uh, like Utah Lighthouse Ministries, the Tanners, people like them, and uh, Marv Cowan. And they've gone out and they have uh, paved the way for people to know the truth about Mormonism. And, and now the generation's starting to catch up with the advent of the internet, so we praise God for that. It seems the temporary and politically timed scourge to root out and charge practicing polygamists in the state of Utah with a crime is conveniently over. According to an article in the Trib, criminal charges will not be pursued against a polygamous family made famous by the reality TV show Sister Wives. A Utah prosecutor wrote Thursday in federal court filings. The case against Cody Brown and his four wives, Mary, Janelle, Christine, and Robin, stars of the TLC show, have been closed, Utah County attorney Jeff Bowman wrote. The article says, quote, Utah Attorney General Mark Shurtleff assured the Browns that they wouldn't be po- prosecuted under his policy that, quote, consenting adult polygamists won't be charged if they're not committing other crimes, end quote. Makes you wonder if this is going to help set a precedent for all types of consenting adult marriages coming down the pike. It's going to be interesting. Stay tuned. In a related story, it seems the Idaho State Liquor Division has banned the sale of Five Wives Vodka from their state-run liquor stores. An article quotes Utah regulators saying the product was banned because the concept is, quote, offensive to a prominent segment of our population and it will not be carried, end quote. Hearing this, you've got to wonder who Idaho regulators think are gonna be offended by the Five Wives Vodka label. Is it the practicing polygamists in Idaho? Uh, Why would they be offended? The label endorses their lifestyle. Is it the LDS in Idaho? you would think uh, they think the label is offensive to people who are LDS. Well, they've supposedly given up on on, uh, polygamy and they don't drink vodka. So I don't understand why that label would be so offensive to Mormons in Idaho. So what's the real purpose of the band, the inside story behind the story? Uh, I can't help but think we are witnessing just another infringement on the freedom of speech and freedom of expression that has grown so popular in the country, guised in the false and fearful explanation is we just don't want to offend anybody Uh, I've come to believe that any group that seeks to legislate and enforce political correctness and or to scrutinize eliminate or edit critical or sarcastic or even parody is not only politically driven but typically they believe or represent something that cannot stand up to scrutiny the people who believe and follow practices that can't stand up to scrutiny are the first ones to cry, Away with scrutiny! Away with scrutiny! And as a means to protect themselves and their hidden agendas, they try to impose restrictions on critical examinations and accusations and parody, all uh, cloaked uh, in an attempt to, um, they just want to legislate free thought and free expression. True Christians, you know, we have nothing to fear. I invite scrutiny. Scrutinize the heck out of my faith. Go in and you find the cracks and the faults with uh, biblical Christianity. Do it because we live and we thrive on the scrutiny that you heap on us because there's always answers. And it's not answers made out of nothing. It's answers made out of real evidence, uh, uh, founded in uh, history, founded in an archeology. So show me a man who demands Kind bridge building at every turn and in almost every case I will show you a man who fears exposure Either for his own personal life his intentions or his religious belief, beliefs and in yet another Somewhat related story our good friend Steve C Sent us a following article that was printed in the Deseret News church news section back on July 29th of 1978 I was a junior in high school page 16 The article, which shares sentiments maintained even today within the LDS rank and file, says, titled, Geographic Problems. Just listen to how the LDS writer establishes the ground rules for possessing and maintaining what he calls faith. The article says, it's on your screen, The geography of the Book of Mormon has intrigued some readers of that volume ever since its publication. But why worry about it? Efforts to pinpoint certain places from what is written in the book are fruitless because the record does not give evidence of such locations in terms of our modern geography. Attempts to designate certain areas as the, quote, land of Bountiful or the site of Zarahemla or the place where the Nephite city of Jerusalem sank into the sea can bring no definitive results. So why speculate? To guess where Zarahemla stood can in no wise add to anyone's faith, but to raise doubts in people's minds about the location of the hill Cumorah and thus challenge the words of the prophets concerning the place where Moroni buried the records is most certainly harmful. Listen to this line And who has the right to raise doubts in anyone's mind? Our position is to build. And he says, faith, not to weaken it, and theories concerning the geography of the Book of Mormon can almost certainly undermine faith, if allowed, if allowed, if allowed to run rampant, why not leave hidden the things that the Lord has hidden? If he wants the geography of the Book of Mormon revealed, he will do so through his prophet and not through some writer who wishes to enlighten the world despite his utter lack of inspiration on the point. Some authors have felt called upon to inform the world about Book of Mormon geography and have published writings giving their views. These books, however, are strictly private works and represent only their personal speculations end article. This filth perfectly represents the mindset of the LDS. As our caller from Afghanistan pointed out last week, they literally believe that accepting ideas and stories that are totally unfounded is evidence of good faith. It's unconscionable. Good faith begins with evidence and is substantiated by discovery of material fact. Faith is not produced in a vacuum, void of reality. It's based in reality. Only charlatans, religious or otherwise, operate from a devious platform that said God that says God wants people to believe and follow something for which they have stories and uh, and promises from charismatic men. Search the facts. Challenge the facts. There is no fear in facts and searching. None. In the end, God will remain standing in the heavens by the Lord Jesus Christ and by uh, His Holy Spirit. How about a moment from the Word? On chapter seven, we come to a place where Jesus journeys to Jerusalem during the Feast of Tabernacles. In John 37, 38, he says, Or It says, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water, end quote. When Moses was leading the children of Israel through the desert during the Exodus, they began to want for water. Moses went to the Lord, and he instructed him to go to the rock of Horeb and strike it with his staff, and it would bring forth water. Moses did as instructed, and the people were temporarily refreshed by waters which gushed forth from the rock. This was a picture of the incarnate Christ there among the people and the living water he would provide to the world during his ministry, which he said would provide constant refreshment to the human souls who received it. Later on, as Moses and the children of Israel continued to wander, they were in want for water again. The Lord told Moses this time to go to that same rock in Horeb, but this time to merely speak to it. And it would provide the water simply by his verbal request. This is a picture of the resurrected Christ, who, having already been smitten for our sin and disease, sits at the right hand of God and openly supplies living water to anyone who requests it verbally. But Moses was angry with the complaining children of Israel at the time, and instead of speaking to the rock as God commanded, he struck it again. Being a loving God, water still gushed forth for the children of Israel, but this very act was so serious, Resmiting the rock that had once and for all been smitten, Moses was not allowed to enter into the promised land. Have you spoken to the rock? Have you been so thirsty for truth, so desperate for living water, that you have humbled yourself and asked him the rock, to save you? If so, are you filled? And if so, does living water now flow out from you? Remember, his word's not mine. If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture had said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, seek you always in our lives. Pray uh, pray that you will reach those who are seeking for truth. There are those who seek and there are those who run from it, Lord. Bless those who are seeking now, that your Holy Spirit will regenerate their minds and hearts and bring them to you. We pray for this in Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) Okay, our study of the Book of Mormon begins with remembering the fact that 116 pages uh, were stolen and Joseph had to figure out a way to re-begin the Book of Mormon without someone coming back later, producing the 116 pages, comparing them to the new translation, and saying it's a fraud. As recorded in Doctrine and Covenants uh, section 10, Smith claimed to receive a revelation on the matter where God told him to translate a second set of pages, a second set of 116 pages, but from another portion of of the record, uh, which miraculously covered the same period of time as the lost 116 pages, but had a more religious slant. When the first and lost 116 pages were supposedly translated, they had a kingly slant to them, supposedly, but this new material would be a religious perspective. This replacement section would include all of the pages in the modern Book of Mormon from 1st Nephi all the way through to the end of a short book called Words of Mormon, okay? What is important to realize here in our second look in the Book of Mormon is the fact that often first-time writers of fiction will uh, create somewhat of an autobiography in the writings that they uh, present, often unintentionally. This will be the focus of our examination tonight. If you're truly gonna understand how the Book of Mormon came forward, we have to plainly see that Joseph Smith was not ordinary man he was multifaceted uh, he had a multifaceted personality and he possessed an absolutely extraordinary ability to pull from and then incorporate all types of experiences insights and imaginations into his narratives and into his supposed revelations I have long described Smith as the greatest religious synthesizer of all times. It's a rare gift to possess a mind that can draw from numerous facets of life, but it's certainly one that is not unique to Joseph Smith alone. Such people uh, are often called polymaths. That means that they have expertise and knowledge of a lot of various, uh, renaissance man is another word that we can use. They understand certain things and Joseph's ability were on metaphysical and spiritual things that he pulled from all over the place. Leonardo da Vinci might be considered the polymath, uh, the best polymath example that we have. In modern art, watch any Baz Luhrmann film or Coen Brothers film or read a novel by Herman Hesse and you will find uh, uh, polymaths at work and do a much better job than Joseph did. Uh, So right off the bat, especially in the first book of uh, the Book of Mormon called First Nephi, we can't help but be struck by some amazing correlations between the characters and plots in First Nephi and the narrative that comes from Joseph Smith's own family and their experiences. In the opening narrative of the Book of Mormon, we are presented with a family led by a visionary father named Lehi and occasionally a complaining wife, older boys who possess faithless resentment in their father's visions, and a young almost perfect hero named Nephi. This Jewish family was on the move as the narrative begins and we are faced with a lot of internal struggles that occur as a direct result of Lehi being a visionary man. In 1st Nephi chapter 8 Lehi says quote, behold I have dreamed a dream or in other words I have seen a vision. Later, Lehi's wife complained about the visions her husband seemed to have, calling him, sarcastically, a visionary man. Lehi's older sons rebelled against their father's spiritual manifestations, opposing what they called the foolish imaginations of his heart, end quote. We will remember in our early examination of the Joseph Smith family that they were a family that was constantly on the move as well. Why? because of the foolish imaginations of their own house patriarch, Joseph Smith Senior, which caused the Smith family to move from one location to another. We know from church history, especially from Lucy Max Smith's own personal journals, that Joseph's father was also quite a visionary man. In fact, he had a vision about a tree of life, which was uh, told years and years before Joseph Smith ever came up with a concept of a Book of Mormon, which makes its way into the narrative of the Book of Mormon, and we'll cover that when we come to it. We also know there's a great deal of friction between Joseph Smith Sr. and uh, his wife Lucy. The source of this friction seems to come from a variety of differences they had. Joseph's father had a penchant for consuming alcohol. He had a distaste for organized religion. He believed in universalism, which says that everybody will be saved, which Lucy did not like as a denominational Christian. And possibly there was difficulty because he, Joseph's father was a poor provider. After he lost his fortune in a ginseng uh, deal gone bad, he spent most of his time searching for lost treasure uh, with his son, Joseph. In the Book of Mormon account, Lehi's youngest son, Nephi, is the only one who faithfully stands by their visionary father. We also see in the Smith family history that only Joseph Smith stood by his. Um, Adding fuel to this theory, and listen, this is a theory. I'm not presenting this as fact, but it is a theory that adds to how the book came about. Um, Nephi was the fourth son of a visionary father, and Joseph was the fourth son to his. Additionally, where Nephi describes himself as being large in stature, we find a similar uh, parallel of Joseph in the description of him, but the parallels continue. In the first book of the Book of Mormon, the first verse, First Nephi one one, it says, I, Nephi, having been born of goodly parents, therefore I was taught somewhat in all the learning of my father, and having seen many afflictions in the course of my days, nevertheless, having been highly favored of the Lord in all my days, yea, having had a great knowledge of the goodness and of the mysteries of God, therefore I make a record of my proceeding in my days. That's the first verse of the Book of Mormon. In his own history, written in 1832, Joseph Smith said, quote, I was born in the town of Sharon in the state of Vermont, North America on the 23rd day of December, AD 1805 of goodly parents who spared no pains to instruct me in the Christian religion. Joseph Smith's father was named Joseph, Joseph and Joseph Smith just as Lehi and Nephi have a similar ring and both sets of fathers and sons were noted as having a similar spirit. In the Book of Mormon, Nephi wants to have the same visions and dreams that his father had. In time, he not only had spiritual visions and dreams; uh, the, his capacity for them far exceeded those of, uh, far exceeded those of his father. The same with Joseph Smith and his father. Joseph's father had about five different visions or dreams that are recorded, or six. Joseph, of course, had many, many more. And because of his dad's visions and dreams, that. Serve to divide the family, it seems that Joseph stepped into that same role and validated his father's dreams and, and, and visions by having some of his own. In time, like Nephi, Joseph's capacity for revelations increased. In other words, to defend and support their, divisionary fa- their visionary fathers, both Joseph and Nephi were able to effectively endorse them by validating their experience uh, as ha- by having their own. As a matter of fact, Abner Cole, editor of the Palmyra Reflector, a local newspaper for the Smiths, claimed that the existence of the Book of Mormon itself was in part an actual fulfillment of one of Joseph Smith's father's dreams. Cole reported uh, that the published Book of Mormon, quote, corresponded precisely with revelations made to and predictions made by the elder Smith a number of years What that's telling you is that Joseph Smith's father was walking around talking about this Book of Mormon a number of years before it ever came about, and the Book of Mormon publishing was just a manifestation of that vision or dream coming true. If people just take the book and read it, you can say, oh, we're impressed by the amount of information that this is putting out in terms of a fanciful uh, novel but any amounts of serious investigation uh, really shows how the thing was put together. Amidst the travels of Lehi's family into the wilderness, Nephi becomes the spiritual leader of the family even though he is youngest. Same with Joseph and his family becoming the spiritual leader. Nephi's spiritual strength uh, created jealousy amongst his brothers, Laman and Lemuel, so bad that an angel had to appear to them and say, Know ye not that the Lord has chosen him, Nephi, to be a ruler over you, and this because of your iniquities? From these events, I would suggest we get some autobiographical insights into the mind and perception, self-perception of Joseph Smith himself. You see, as we said last week, Nephi presents him, is presented as an ideal character, an archetype of perfection, while the rest of the family ebbs and flows between do, being, trying to do good to just being outright failures. When Lehi has a vision and the Lord tells him and his sons to go back to Jerusalem, everybody complains except Joseph, I mean Nephi. And the story of Lehi's sons being instructed to return to Jerusalem to a man named Laban uh, who has possession of brass plates that contain the Old Testament scripture gives us another insight. After two failed attempts by the brothers to get these brass plates from Laban, the man in Jerusalem who has them, Nephi steps up and resolves to go and save the day. In his attempt, he locates Laban who is laying there drunk, having been out partying all night, and after some internal warfare with his own conscience, when he was told by God to kill Laban, he decides to do it and he beheads him using Laban's own sword. Here we find one of the first examples of Joseph's ability to justify lesser evil for the greater good. Um, From this philosophy, Mormonism today practices something called lying for the Lord. It's okay to do something bad as long as its in purpose has a greater uh, meaning or a greater result. The action of uh, using Laban's own sword to cut uh, his head off is not unique. Uh, David took Goliath's own sword and cut his head off, and in the uh, apocryphal book of Judith, uh, Judith beheads a drunken Holofernes in, the, in uh, the Apocryphal book, chapter 13, with his own sword. Uh, and we're going to talk about that plagiarism next week. Perhaps Joseph pulled from his own treasure-seeking days too. Let me explain that. There is historical evidence that it was practiced and proved that Joseph Smith believed in many circumstances three attempts needed to be made in order to obtain a treasure. We see three attempts made uh, on the uh, attempt to obtain the brass plates from Laban. With the final thing sealing the deal shed blood. We know from historical accounts that people said, Dogs, chickens, and um, even some other animals' uh, blood were shed in order to take the ghosts and the spirits away uh, so that they could get a hold of the buried treasure in the earth. Is that possibly a parallel that Joseph took from his imagination and included in the narrative? I don't know. But author Dan Vogel, in his outstanding book, Joseph Smith, The Making of a Prophet, makes this astute observation regarding the Smith family history and the murder of Laban. Listen to what he suggests. On a deeper level, the story of Laban perhaps reflected an aspect of Joseph's relationship with his father. Whereas Lehi represented the idealized Joseph Smith Sr., the drunken Laban personified the side of Joseph Smith uh, Sr. that the son most hated, while the the backsliding universalist and the sword-bearing treasure seeker that Joseph Jr. wanted exterminated. With God's permission, writes Vogel, the son symbolically slays the evil father with his own weapon, Laban, that it, through the belief in magic, hidden treasures and inspired dreams, thus allowing the good father to emerge. What Vogel is suggesting there is that Joseph family was ripped up by his father's practices and Joseph loved his father he sided with his father but there were aspects of him that he could not stand those made their way into the narrative of the Book of Mormon drunkenness and taking scriptures and resting them and saying everybody was going to be saved so Joseph kills Laban the bad side of his father gets the Bible from him takes them and delivers them to the good father all symbolic a stretch maybe Maybe, a theory, uh, certainly. But hang with us because there's a lot more coming. With that, um, we have we get all kinds of calls uh, on our line and, and Derek has to listen to them. And we wanna share with you uh, one call that we got because it's so interesting. In fact, we'll let you decide from yourself. It's from Daryl, go ahead.
1: Sean McCraney is a liar. He is not born again. Atlantian Ministries is a cult of monkeys desperate for bananas. They got nothing. You guys are not born again. You guys are not the truth. You guys teach another gospel, one that pray, has the phrase "of pays. Just keep paying and paying. Your little pastor's car payments. You guys got nothing. You guys are a joke. You guys won't hold a serious dialogue with real Mormons. You guys won't even talk to LDS and know the doctrine. Instead, you just screen the call. You guys are <laughs> You guys are not even Christ-like. Sean McCraney, he's a liar. He's a total liar. See you in hell. You born against Christians. You aunties You guys are evil. And God will rebuke you. See you in hell come Judgment Day.
0: There's a little little sampling for you of some of the people who call on our message line and leave stuff for us. Um, You know, we have Daryl's phone number, so we're going to call him. And we're going to see what Daryl has to say. He doesn't know we're going to do this. Come on, Speaker. Speaker. I did okay. I th- let me make sure he'll let let us hey Daryl daryl can you hear can you hear me? can I put you on the speakerphone you're on the air at on heart of the matter can can we put you on the air? Well, you called and left us a message. We'd just like to hear you. Can we? Yeah, you, play, you played it, didn't you? You played it for all your people. We did. He's sad. Well, I just wanted to clarify. Okay. Okay. The other day I call him. And I'm like,
2: yo, what are you doing, dude? He's like talking to you and playing World War. So, uh, like,
3: hey, Daryl. I can't talk
0: right now. I'm
3: happy.
0: It sounds like you're busy with some important business. Sorry, Sean. Not right now. Well, maybe we can talk another time. Maybe. We might get to All right, thanks. Bye. He doesn't want to talk. Can't hear him. He left some other messages swearing that he could take anybody on any time, and he's ready for it. You just call back. So we called him, and he hung up on us. So I don't understand it. Anyway, uh, we have callers on the line. Uh, Brock from Washington. He is LDS on line two. Brock, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, I am uh, uh, I am LDS. I was baptized into the church
2: um, as a child, and I had hadn't been active. I mean, my whole life, but um, I uh, up until about five months ago, I was really active. And um, I am exiting the church. I am convinced that it is not true. Thanks to uh, people like you, and thanks to um, I've stumbled across your videos on YouTube, and. Uh, uh, you've really open answered a lot of questions about the faults in the church and um i am uh convinced that it's not true um, i not being active um uh i've been getting getting the visits by the by the um missionaries um, and uh i've been avoiding them and uh just not answering my door and um I uh, finally decided to answer my door and talk to them. And uh, this is just tonight, as a matter of fact. And um, uh, the the first thing they did was look at my cross. I've been wearing a cross. And um, they looked at my cross, and the first thing they did was ask about it. And, you know, they looked at it like it was upside down or something. (laughs) But, um, um. They've asked if I've been going to church, and I, I told them that I have been uh, studying the scriptures, and I've been um, wanted to build a relationship, a personal relationship with my Savior Jesus Christ. Praise God! And and um, I uh, explained to them that I don't uh, I don't really have the I, I haven't really told them that I am. Uh, that I'm thinking about leaving the church
0: yeah
2: I haven't mentioned anything about that but um, they uh, they read me a scripture in the in Moroni the book of Mormon and I was wondering what your thoughts were on this um, they said that uh, they asked me if I was going to church I told them I wasn't so they read me a scripture in Moroni and I found it I can't and it, uh, it says, uh, um, And the church did meet together oft to fast and pray and to speak one with another concerning the welfare of their souls. And they did meet together oft and partake of bread and wine in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. And they, uh, they kind of caught me off guard when they um, said that. And um, I... Um, Said that, they basically said it was uh, important to, uh, to go to church to take the sacrament. Okay. Um, and so I tried to find, I tried to look up about the sacrament in the Old Testament, as, and they talk about it in the Book of Mormon, but they don't talk about it in the, I'm sorry, the, the Bible.
0: Yeah. Well, let me, let me explain to you and to the audience, Brock, uh, what's going on there. First and foremost, the Book of Mormon, remember Joseph in his own narrative said that he was raised in the Christian faith. So the Book of Mormon, his first literary attempt was certainly couched in Christian beliefs. What that says there in uh, Moroni is absolutely true. The church does get together often. The church does memorialize or take communion. That's really the word. Sacrament is a, uh, a word of the Catholic church that Mormonism has embraced but it's really communion, it's koinonia in the Greek, and it means your relationship with God and your relationship with fellow believers. Do Christians get together and take communion, koinonia, have the elements, the the bread and the wine? Absolutely, and it is a good thing for them to do that. And so all they did was, I'm not sure what they were trying to tell you, but when Mormons take their sacrament, they are believing that by taking those things every week, they are then being re-cleansed, so to speak, as as they were at baptism. And that's the reason they take it weekly. But nowhere do we find that as uh, uh, in the Bible because that's not its purpose. Its purpose is a memorial. Its purpose is to commune with, with our God. The The only thing that can cleanse sin is the blood of Christ, not taking things in memory of him every week to wash it away uh, uh, through like a baptism, and so the Mormons and Catholics they share in that view of why we take sacraments weekly. But uh, Christian community, they they take it as a memory, as a joyful remembrance of what He did for us, and as a time to reflect on our gratitude to our God.
2: Yeah, that's what, um, that's that's what I, I thought too. I, and they mentioned that that uh, that they take it. That we're supposed to command it to take it to uh, renew our covenant. Yeah,
0: that's all Mormon. That's all made up by Joseph Smith. And you see, when you get people to come back to church every week because they have to renew covenants that they made, and those covenants are done through this process, then you keep people coming to church. But nowhere in the Bible do we find that. So it's the best way to, to kind of refute what they're saying, Brock. Yeah, and that's what I
2: thought of it too. Is that it was like a ploy to get me back into church. absolutely. And um, you know, I, I don't have any uh, desire to step back in that church. I, I you know, I, I know that it's false, and I know that uh, I don't. I don't believe Joseph Smith was a true prophet, like I was taught. And uh, there was Good. a time where I did believe it, but I am totally uh, convinced that it's not true. And okay, I block. did work um, in the Bible dictionary about sacrament, and nowhere in the Bible did I find it, but I found it all over in the uh, um, uh, the Mormon, you know, in the uh, doctrine and covenants sure. and Moroni and Nephi. It says it. Yeah. Only, the only way, the only place that describes or that it even mentions it is in their doctrine, and I think that's biased. I think that they use their own doctrine to
0: to try to convince people, even though it's not anywhere in the Bible. Always. Hey, Brock, hope you find a good Bible teaching church out there in Washington. We got a lot of calls waiting. I appreciate the call, my brother. Keep going. You're in our prayers. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Sean, and God bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye. We have Michael in Salt Lake City. He's LDS on line one. Michael, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, me, Sean. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Excellent, excellent. Thank you for calling tonight. Yes.
4: Just, uh, first of all, start off with a comment, or a question. Uh, That's that's why I'm calling, to ask a question. Yeah. Are you aware how ridiculous you are? You're just as ridiculous as Mormons,
0: atheists, and the rest of us. Yes, I am aware of that. We are ridiculous, aren't we? We are ridiculous. We are. Every time I see myself naked, I just... Oh, grief. Yeah, it's a horrible sight. That's
4: why I understand. Uh, I'm the same way. But uh, can I throw another question at you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's possible uh, everything you're presenting here on your show uh-huh. is true. Uh-huh. And uh, here's another possibility. Uh, it's certainly possible that uh, the atheists are right. Whoa, how do you make that jump? Uh, well, it's possible, isn't it? No.
0: It's not possible. It's not possible. Well,
4: that's a disappointing answer.
0: Oh, no, only to humanists. Only to secular humanists is that a disappointing answer. People whose minds are so open it's been filled with garbage. I mean, oh. no, I'm not saying it's you, Michael. Listen, anybody who steps outside and looks around, who isn't blind can see an order that cannot be created from nothing. This is an order by design. And if I can look at a watermelon, I can look at a cantaloupe, I can look at a flower, I can look at a bee, I can look at myself naked, and I can say this did not come from nothing. So it's impossible that uh, atheists are correct. Impossible. 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 Do you see the danger in that philosophy? Not at all. Well... I see the danger in your philosophy. Oh, really? Sure. Sure. Well, uh, let me explain the
4: the danger of that. Okay. Uh, When you're GD right about everything, you have tendency to... uh, um, infringe on other
0: people's uh, mythologies. Well, good. Uh, listen, I don't think I'm right about everything, and I don't think human beings know one billionth of the information about God. All I said was your idea that atheists could be just as right as what I talk about here on this show, I disagreed with that. Uh-huh, that's fine. Yeah that uh, a truly honest
4: person, a truly honest person uh, has
0: the courage to say I don't know. And I, did, I just said that. There are, there's so much we don't know. But uh, when it comes to the existence of God, I would be lying and I try to be honest in everything I say on this show, and p- pretty much in my life, I try, and I would be lying if I said otherwise to to your proposition. Yes. I mean, but go ahead. Uh, uh, yeah,
4: I, if, I, I think it's a mortal sin to trust any human. Uh, I, agree. I And I can only trust what I can know. Okay. I know only what I can know. Okay. And how do you know
0: what you know? Uh, Well, what I experience, what I feel in my flesh. Oh, well, wait a minute. What you feel in your flesh is what you know? What I can touch, what I can see, what I can experience. Oh, so everything is by experience. So you throw David Hume out who would completely uh, disagree with you. Experience means nothing. You can be tricked by your experiences. I can look at someone and think I love them and spend a day with them and realize I can't stand them. My, my sensory, my experience says I love them, but when I get some, some real facts behind it, I realize I don't. So your philosophy <laughs> falls apart just in this little short dialogue. The only thing we can truly know is what is absolutely true. You can only know what is true. Let me explain to you, Michael. If there's a bridge, I use this often, and I say I know that bridge is safe, And I go and I walk over the bridge and it crashes down and I fall. Did I know it was safe? No. I merely believed it was safe. My senses, my ability to look at it, my engineering background, which I don't have, it doesn't mean anything. It means nothing because I didn't know. Now, we can know what is true. Jesus came and said, I am the way, the truth, capital T, and the life. When you know him, you know truth, it doesn't fail, and then you have a perfect knowledge in that sense. So when it comes to saying, I know this, there are very few things people can stand on and say, I know. But you can only say, you know what is true. I can say, I know bananas are here because they are. I'm holding them, and I can see them and taste them and smell them. See, but your philosophy, it leads to the most damaging, ridiculous mindset, void of any hope, and denying the reality of a creator. Yeah, I just admitted I'm ridiculous. So did I. Yeah. Uh, that I am. Yeah. But God came and he saved us. I mean, I, I don't know what to say to you, Michael. This is a really long conversation, of which I'm probably not equipped to handle. There's people far smarter than me when they deal with atheists. I don't know what to say to someone who's- I'm not who's...
4: an atheist. No, oh. don't give me a word. I'm not an atheist. I'm what? not that G.D. Wright. What are you?
0: I, I, don't, I don't know. I can't know that I can trust you. Well, you can't trust me. Don't trust me. So this is what you've got, though, Michael. You go directly and to God. God? No, go directly to God, Michael. Yes.
4: It's a mortal sin to trust any human. I would tr- rather trust what I can know.
0: And no, trust no, wait, wait, wait. I, I'm not saying trust a human. Go to God, Michael. Go directly to God. Say, I don't even know if you exist. I'm not sure. Show me. I will open my heart to know if you show me. Just And you got a direct communication. No popes, no priests, no Sean McCraney, no pastors, bishops, no one in between. You go directly to him and say, I am open to know. Show me. Are you willing to do that with an open heart? Oh, yes, I do that. Yes. I'm you, and what, what has been the response? Yeah. So I, I just know what I can know. and uh, Okay. All right, I got to cut you off because we have more people, but I'm sorry, Michael, because you're regurgitating. You didn't take my challenge. You say I've done it many times, but you didn't say what the result was. Well, uh, no one wants to hear that. Oh, they do want to hear it. They're waiting with bated breath. What was the result when you went to God openly and you said, I want to know the truth? What did he say back? Uh, Well, um, all my symptoms of mental illness have gone away. Well, praise God. Maybe that's a sign. Maybe that's an insight for you, Michael, that the great physician healed you. I'm I'm taking too much of your time. I know these things to be true,
4: and I say these things and nail them. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I can't take that one. Okay. What evidence do you have that the Bible is more true than the Book of Mormon? Okay, well, let's start. I mean, really quickly, we have archeological evidence. Says Jerusalem, there's a Jerusalem. Uh, We have genetic evidence, talks about Jewish people. There's Jewish people, it's amazing. Uh, We Talk about temples, there's a temple mount, Mount Moriah, it's there. Archaeological, I guess. We have linguistic evidence. Bible was written in Hebrew. Bible was written in Greek. When Alexander the Great came in and took over, we have evidence of that. We have evidence of uh, the Maccabean Revolt. We have evidences of these things that are recorded. We have evidence that was recorded by Josephus, who was a non-Christian historian who wrote about all these things, okay? Here are just a few things. Linguistic, archeological, historical, genetic, all those things, okay? Book of Mormon, none. Not any. There's no historian who wrote about this. The Smithsonian has said it didn't happen here. Joseph Smith said it happened here. They call the Hill Cumorah in New York the Hill Cumorah where the plates were taken, they have a a thing there. Nothing, nothing, okay? So there's just some evidences between the two. Um, Okay, listen, Uh, we've got three newsletters here. I don't know how much time's left. This is from the Bountiful 18th Ward, and it talks about two principles that uh, uh, Dieter Uchtdorf teaches, and the whole newsletter here is about the importance of work and education. So, work and education. Don't see anything about there about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in our own neighborhood, they love leaving the newsletter for the ward on on our front porch. It says here, from state conference, under that heading, Uh, Kayleen and Elizabeth and Leslie represented the uh, Kenwood Second Ward and Relief Society Chorus in the Saturday evening session of state conference. Several stake missionaries, uh, several stake members told of their personal heroes, I guess at this conference. Then President and Sister Aldridge of the Salt Lake Temple encouraged us to make the effort to, quote, look to the temple and be saved, end quote. Uh, Nothing about Jesus saving them. The temple. Look to the temple and be saved. And here, the grandeur peak times, these things are sent to me. Uh, This is uh, all an article about spiritual parenting. And the writer, a member of the bishopric, says he's taking this from 25 mistakes LDS parents make and how to avoid them. And the book talks about how to keep your children active and spiritually growing in the Lord. It doesn't say the Lord, in the church, actually, and to overcome temptations. And here are the suggestions that the bishopric member gives. Participate in family home evening is the first one. Uh, The promise has been made that there won't be one in a hundred that will ever go astray if you do. (laughs) There's your promise. Okay. How How you validate that by statistics, I don't know. Uh, participate in family prayer. If we neglect this, we lose the inspiration and power from heaven. We become indifferent. We lose our testimony and go down in darkness. Okay, that, if you don't have the family prayer, then that is what happens. Temple attendance. Gordon B. Hinckley made a wonderful promise for those who attend the temple. If there were more temple work done in the church, there would be less selfishness, less contention, less demeaning of others. The whole church would increasingly be lifted to greater heights of spirituality and obedience to the commandments of God. So go to the temple. Go and visit church history sites. That would increase your children's spirituality. Attend seminary and institute, uh, and attend church youth programs. Because if you do, they will follow the straight and narrow path. And he says, we just need to make sure that our children take advantage of these wonderful programs. We need, and he finishes three times with, we need, we need to do everything we've been asked to do. We have to understand that we do everything. It's all about doing. And he says, then he knows that the Lord, he ends with the Lord will bless us if you make all these things a priority in your life. These are the newsletters. This is really, this is really the the blood flow of the Mormons, these these newsletters, because it's really what goes on in their wards, what they focus on. At Christmas time, you might get a picture of Jesus if Joseph doesn't preempt him because he has the same birthday within two days celebrated. And so the messages really get through and they are a works-based, get out, serve, help, do all you can, and, and, and then you're going to be able to keep your children in the church. Jesus, nothing, nothing. Not even in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So, all right. We are going to uh, West in uh, Schofield uh, on line two. West, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, is this Sean? It is. Hi, Sean. Uh, I just had more
3: of a comment. Yeah. A question. Uh, Like you, I was raised in the church, and uh, I've watched your show, and... And it is pretty interesting. You disavow a lot of the Mormon beliefs and things like that. But uh, the comment that I have is that you were born in the church. You served an LDS mission. Am I right? Yes. How many people did you tell during your mission, without a shadow of a doubt, that the church was true? A lot. A lot. Yeah. And God told you this, right? You told these people that.
0: No, God didn't tell me this. I was yeah, that's that, what you told these people. That's why you were, you, were in, you were God's missionary. You were one of his people. No, I was a missionary for the Mormon church, and I was raised in the Mormon church, and I sang I Hope They Call Me on a Mission. Did
3: and you I ever went- pray God to God to know the truth when you were, before you went on your mission?
0: No. I went on the mission because I was told I should go. You what? I went on the mission because I was told I should go.
3: You never asked God if if the church was true? You never testified in testimony meaning that the church
0: was true? Absolutely. After the mission, all the time. During the mission, all the time. But I believed it was true. I believed the things they told me. I believed the stories. But they're not true. I've researched them now. And they're not true, so I was fed lies.
3: At the time, you you believed that God told you these things were true because you... At the
0: time, at the time, I believed they were true. Absolutely.
3: Okay, so at that time, you were deceived, weren't you?
0: I was deceived.
3: And I hate to tell you the bad news, but you're being deceived again. By what? It's because you don't. You say the Book of Mormon is not true, that it's full of false things and wait, things wait, that can't be true. Wait, wait,
0: wait, 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 Tell me what I'm deceived by. Just get to the point. We only have two minutes. Okay. You, you,
3: you believe in a book, the Bible, that has talking snakes, men that walk on water, burning bushes. And I don't know how you can believe in a God in that Bible that he controls everything that goes on in this earth. This is his world. Yeah, he controls it. He created it. Yeah, he his children being molested and murdered mm. and killed every day, uh-huh. and he turns his head the other way.
0: Okay, look at. Okay, God okay, God okay, wait, wait, West. Before you go on your rant, I let you talk. Now, why don't you think about this for a second? This was not God's plan. God is a God of freedom, complete freedom. And men decided to introduce sin into this perfect paradise that he created for us. So what he is, is he stands back and he gives people the choice. And he says, look at I love you. In fact, I love you so much, I'm going to send you my son and I'm going to come down here myself, and I'm going to take on flesh, and I'm going to suffer for bastards like you. And then he goes onto the cross, and he does it, and he dies for you, and he doesn't need to. That's how much God loves the world. But you see, you got a base. Now wait, and then I'll let you talk. Right. You got, wait, no, wait, I'll let you talk. Wait, and I'll let you talk. You've got to balance God who right. is, wait. God who is all just, all loving, and all full of freedom with the fact that human beings live in a sinful place. Go ahead. Why does he intervene in some people's lives and let other people? That's up to oh. him. I don't I don't question a sovereign God. All I know is that whatever the end result uh, is, whatever whatever the uh, end uh, result. is. can see that is. was the trouble when you were in the LDS
3: church. You didn't question.
0: No, no. you? don't, you, you, don't do. get it, you don't understand what I'm saying. I question. You understand perfectly
3: what you're saying.
0: No, you don't understand perfectly what I'm you saying. God, you don't at with all.
3: Paul and make him see the light? What's that? Didn't God intervene with Paul on the road to, to Damascus and make him see the light? He didn't
0: make him, but he showed him. What do you mean? He, he appeared to him and told him stop or you're going in and, trouble. And Paul could have said no, just like Laman and Lemuel said no in the Book of Mormon. Well, Paul
3: could have said no, but he would have got killed, murdered by God.
0: Okay. Well, whatever. I don't remember God saying, okay. I'll murder you if you don't but follow why me. That's do that to
3: other people. When he sees that they're okay. in trouble, why doesn't he intervene and help
0: them? Why don't you trust why in do a do sovereign what? God? You think, think you're smarter can... than him? You think you can see the whole parade from your purview? He gets the whole get- gig. Oh, he knows, but he does. There's a, there's a difference
3: between the me difference you,
0: is we are out of time. Call next one. week. We're out of time. I like to- talking with you. Uh, eight seconds. Love you. Next week, we're going to continue to talk about uh, the Apocrypha in the Book of Mormon. See you then.